Hey everyone, this is Trey Atkins alongside Campbell Garbert, Jack Vesey, and Graham Copeland. Welcome to the Barners Before Bed Show, Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on Weagle 91.1 FM. Your home for late night Auburn athletic coverage from a fan's perspective each hump day. War Eagle. And with that, we bring you episode 38 of Barners Before Bed here on a very cold Monday night in the Plains. Monday, February 29th, following yet another roller coaster of a week, safe to say, for the Auburn men's basketball program. After our show last Monday, Auburn with an emphatic 40-point victory over the, at the time, number 11-ranked South Carolina Gamecocks in a primetime blockbuster there on Wednesday night. Then following it up on Saturday against Kentucky in college game day, all eyes on the Plains. Safe to say a little bit of a disappointment for Auburn, but nonetheless we'll get to that. Talk a little bit about college hoops. A lot going around in the sports world as well, mainly basketball, but also college baseball starting up. And we got our baseball savant Campbell Garber joining us as well. Garber, can you hear me? How's it going? I can hear you. I'm here. All right, sweet. So we got Garber back there in Nashville from the phone again. Jack and Graham are under the weather tonight and unfortunately couldn't make it. Well, maybe Jack doesn't really want to talk to me, but I... I'm coming in here with a middle ground. Also, to all of you out there who have been questioning my Auburn fandom due to my hometown Kentucky roots and the fact that we had Josh last week, and I would like to say every media person you know did not go to that school or maybe even sometimes cheers for that school. For example, our own Justin Hokinson went to Georgia Southern. Jacob Goins, who's a Weagle alum and works in the Auburn Athletics, does a Indiana podcast, and Matt Jones from Kentucky went to Duke. So deal with it. Nonetheless, I'm still repping the orange and blue and want to talk about this team because there's still a lot of potential despite the rather disappointment on Saturday. And every team has had disappointments in a crazy, crazy college basketball year, especially in the SEC. So, Garber, I'm going to go let and go ahead and let you kick things off. What were your takeaways from this weekend? How was the experience you got to come back in town, kick things off at the new setup there in the outfield for baseball? So I'd love to hear a little bit about that too, but the floor is yours. Yeah, so uh, first off, start before I get into any of that um I'm with you there a little bit but uh isn't our tagline bringing you Auburn sports from a fan's perspective I mean I'm still a fan let's okay oh oh just want to lay that out there but nonetheless I'm just you know messing around a little bit yeah it was a crazy week for the Tigers um I think we kind of well I'm gonna back it up to Wednesday kind of go chronologically starting with basketball Wednesday was just kind of what everyone was hoping for and expecting. Maybe not all the, probably more than what people were expecting, but I really did. I kind of, I, I can't say that I was too, too shocked with the result of us coming out firing and just leaving them in the dust. I mean, South Carolina, they're for sure a, you know, a good team, but number 11 in the country, I think they reached, they definitely reached the peak that they'll be ranked for the rest of the year, as they should be. Um, I think it was like a 30-team 30, 30 difference between their Ken Palm rank and their AP. So they kind of got exposed for what they were there. But then coming to Saturday, um, you know, after that game Wednesday, students started uh, apparently camping out that night all the way in anticipation for Kentucky, whom we were, you know, around most plays at least an eight-point favorite over at the time. So, it was, you know, it was a very interesting move, in my, my opinion. 
um, created a lot of buzz for the game. Um, one might say took away from it a little bit, you know, maybe added a little extra pressure than needed, but all is well. It was college game day. It was a great crowd, exciting crowd. Um, yeah, just disappointing to tail of two, tail of two teams this week. Um, midweek, we just showed up, started out hot, stayed hot the whole time. Um, Saturday was just poor shooting, poor shot selection, and letting ourselves get down early by about 10 points and just never being able to close the gap out. Um, I think that was a big reason. I think the, what I was alluding to with the bad shooting and bad shot selection, I think a lot of that came from us getting down early and getting panicked, which I was very surprised by because we in our in our gym, usually like this is the place where we don't need to panic, you know? Like call a timeout or maybe just, you know, get a bucket, calm down and keep doing what we've been doing all season. But we ended up shooting over 23s, only making about four or five of them. And a lot of quick wasted possessions. So I think really were the detriment of Auburn. Um, we knew Kentucky's defense or Kentucky's offense was going to be or is very good and could easily shoot the way that they did. But I don't think our defense really was the reason is really the full, full reason to, to blame for this loss. I think it was that offense. I think, um, just, yeah, like I said, the poor shot selection, poor, poor shooting, kind of just seeming rushed, seeming nervous, weird rotations. Um, yeah, nothing really clicked. Yeah. And you bring up some great points there. And if you would have told me that Kentucky would have scored 70 before the game started, I would have immediately thought it would have been the same tale as the Bama game where Auburn had upwards to 100 points, to be quite frank. But it, it, if you would have told me the tale of the game from start to finish where Kentucky started off well, I would have thought it was the polar opposite where Auburn would be the team coming out throwing the first punch. And sometimes in a game like that, and it happened a little bit two years ago with Jabari and them, where the stage, there's a, any team, any team in the country like with a buildup to a game like that, come out maybe a little, the shoes are a little heavier, the shots are a little longer due to the excitement, and that happened two years ago, but that team had a Jabari Smith, whereas this team doesn't really have your go-getter bucket guy. Also, I remember from that game, Wendell was feeding Walker. There was definitely some mismatch and some advantages for Auburn, definitely in the front court, and I still believe there was a ton of advantage in the front court until Jay Will got injured, and by the way, so thankful to hear from him directly on Twitter that he's going to be fine. But when Jay Will went out, I believe, if, correct me if I'm wrong, that's when it was hovering around a 5-7 to seven range, right? Yes, and with that, yes, continue your point. Yeah, and then after that, through the highlights, you can see him on any uh, ESPN or YouTube highlight reel, Cheney just got lost on defense, and Adutiero, who's our probably, I'm trying to think of a comparison for him, maybe even our Chris Moore had the game of his life just due to Cheney getting lost on those little down screens because you had a bite on Antonio Reeves and he just slipped the basket for easy buckets. And also, let's be real, things did not go Auburn's way. There was a couple loose balls that ended up in the hands of Kentucky, some shots that rimmed in and out, and maybe even a couple bad calls. Everyone's debating the J-Will play. I personally thought it was a foul. I thought that should have been a foul. I know there's some people saying he addressed the contact, but I don't even think the refs really made or break or, yeah, really determined the game. I think it was just some bad bounces. And just you can afford to, 
I guess, let one slip. Hopefully, unlike the past two years, the slips do not affect this team in March, whereas in 2019 it sort of prompted them to go on a run and sort of find their groove after figuring out the flaws. Yeah, um, I'm going to go back originally, like we were saying there, but at that, like you said, I believe it was a five-point game. Um, If it was not a five-point game, it was a seven-point game. And kind of, you know, with that, it's just unfortunate play. I mean, very close. You know, if he, you know, holds on to that ball, dunks it, the place erupts. And if he doesn't get, if he doesn't get all that contact, which I do think was a foul, and I was not really pleased with uh, the officiating on kind of either side. I think there were some weird calls in our favor and some just blown calls in Kentucky's favor. I, I definitely don't think that's the you know you can never. That cannot be the reason why we lost the game. But it was just, I don't know, I feel like it's been a continuing theme and, you know, forever. But, like, really this year in the SEC, just bad foul call. Like, just a lot more, I don't know, just poor officiating. You know, you watch other games, other conferences, be like, sometimes they just let them play a little bit more. And I, I don't know, you know, I am calling for a foul right here. But, yeah, like I said, yeah, I think, you know, he, they make, they make that foul call he finishes the dunk. It's an and one opportunity to pull it to four and say he doesn't get hurt. I mean, that's a completely different ball game. I, I, I really do believe that. I really believe, like, that was the play, I think, that really just turned it where – because then we immediately, I believe, let up a 9-0 run uh, right after that. You know, all the energy got sucked out of the stadium when Jay will went down. You know, it's just unfortunate. Yeah. And, 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 to your point, with, with losses like these, obviously nothing – you know, it's not panic time yet. Like we're still twenty and six. You know, it's a lot of lot of time left. We're gonna make the tournament, have a fairly high seed. But I'm with you. I mean, it's go where we go from this. And luckily, we have a whole week off um, until Saturday. I really, I didn't really notice that until after the game. But yeah, we have a whole week off to really go and address all these issues that we were having this game. And hopefully, yeah, like we can continue to build and the team is willing to, you know, recept it because we're going to have to, we just lost at home and where we've been best all year, but we're going to start winning games on the road too. And so, yeah, like you said, it's going to be a big week, big coming next couple of weeks. See yeah, what we do. yeah. And furthermore, I also have to give credit to you because you and Ankenbrandt have continued to be the Ken Palm guys. And through talking to one of my buddies this past weekend, I re- I've never been an analytics guy. I'm sort of the same view as Charles Barkley, just roll out the ball and let the better team play. Don't really harp too much on numbers. But, I mean, if you look through the past few years, I mean, how in the world is UConn as a four seed was the number one Ken Palm team and ends up winning the Natty? And then you go through all the – the only exception was the random Shabazz Napier UConn team that finished 15th. It really blew my mind. I was like – Wow, there is something behind this. And Auburn is still seventh in Ken Palm behind Houston, who's going to be a one seed, UConn, who's going to be the number one overall seed, Purdue, who's going to be a one seed as well. And then I think this is just the four one seeds. Arizona's right there too. It really is a metric that tells the tale that I now appreciate and something to keep an eye on for sure is there's the real there's a lot of basketball heads out there that still have faith in this Auburn team, and that's the next thing I'm going to jump to. Really funny. I got the field of 68 guys who we've mentioned a couple of times on this show, Rob Doster and Je- uh, Jeff Goodman, 
probably the most polarizing name in college hoops, were saying their takeaways from the game were, I think this is a universal take around Auburn, that the backcourt backcourt play needs to improve. Fair. They also said, and I think they're just not Cal guys, so I think their view on this was really a shot at Kentucky, but they were saying Auburn's not that good. I was like, man, if I was a one seed in Auburn, I would say right now I'd probably be a three or four. If Auburn was in my region, I would be irate. I completely disagree with that. This team yeah, is still very good. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's to your point, Kim Palm. Um, Auburn still is in the. Um, you know, I believe it's top twenty. You know, I think the last. You know, however long it's been. I think since Ken Palm's origin, which like I think was like in 03, it was like the final four teams, you know, or national, maybe it's national champions or final four teams. Like there is an overwhelming like 90 plus percent of teams ended by the time they were playing that game, they were a top 20 defensive efficiency on Ken Palm and a top 30, I believe, offensive efficiency on Ken Palm, which Auburn is in, or one of the few teams that are four on defense. 22 on offense, but Bruce Pearl said this a couple weeks ago, and I'd imagine his sentiments probably not changed too much, especially with Jay Will being being out right now. He said, like, he doesn't believe that we're as good as the analytics are saying. And it's kind of coming to fruition with watching these games. I mean, like, if, if you know, say we're that good, we should be winning these games. You know, there's a couple things you can point at, you know, little things like that, like that Jalen Williams play, but it's still not a guarantee even if he makes it, doesn't get hurt, that we're going to win that game. But, yeah, I think definitely the backcourt, like you like you mentioned, is something definitely, I, that is I'm something I'm pulling the panic button out, maybe. I'm not I'm not opening it up yet. I'm not, uh, not ready to press it, but I've definitely pulled the panic button out of the closet because it's, it's looking really similar um, somehow to last year. Um, yeah, and we'll, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that, maybe reminisce and think about maybe what one player would you want to add to this club. Also, look at the grand field of college hoops, talk a little bit about the disaster of this NBA All-Star Weekend, and let Garber give you a little preview on the baseball diamond about this Auburn club. So stay tuned, and we will be back shortly. And welcome back to Barnes Before Bed, episode 38. One of those numbers you really can't think of a, a guy to name this episode after. Garter, is there a 38 that comes to mind? Not a basketball number, maybe a baseball number, but football? Yeah, I was trying to – was Kobe McClain before he switched numbers 38? I know he was 35 by the end. 35. Uh, 38, that's a weird number. Um, I feel like that's a running back number. Like a second string running back. We'll have to look into that at the next break. I'll uh, see if we can find a. Cause yeah, nothing, like I said, nothing comes. Nothing comes to the top of my head. Yeah, we'll get back to that one. But furthermore, going into the rest of the year, Auburn comes back next Saturday with a road game against Georgia. Is this a must-win button? You're saying you sort of were on the panic side. I feel like more people will be on that panic side if we were to lose to Georgia, but that's a rivalry game on the road. I'm sure it will be a tough environment, especially Auburn staying there in the top 15 with the 14th slot this week. And then after that, you got Tennessee on the road, so maybe it is a must-win. Holy cow, yeah, that's a tough – Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, 
I wouldn't. I don't know if it's necessarily a must win. Maybe it might be a can't lose. Um, I don't know. Just slot that in yet. But yeah, I think definitely what we need to see is some poise from our guards on the road. Um, and kind of the whole team, but like really, especially you know, in what's going to be a rowdy environment. Um, Georgia doesn't like us. We don't like Georgia. Um, I'm sure after that Kentucky game, I'm sure people are like, and the way we've played on the road, I, I mean, they might even be right, you know, possibly. I don't think they are, but I'm sure there's people thinking we're frauds. So that all, that obviously adds a little bit of element of, you know, they're going to think that they can win this game. Um, I think that number on that game is going to be tighter than ever, anyone expects. Um, you know, Mike White down in Georgia is not having the greatest year, but I mean, by far and away, not the worst team in the SEC. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be one to watch. Um, yeah, like back when we were saying the end of the first first segment, it's going to be we like, and I'm really like I said, I'm thankful that we have the whole week off. But I mean, it's going to be how we have to respond from a loss like this. How we're going to go in and correct. Um, I think that puzzled me, Trey, and I don't know if you know much about it, but. There was a combined only, I think, less than 30 minutes played between Aiden Holloway and Trey Donaldson in the Kentucky game. And that, I, I don't know, maybe that was a, you know more about this Kentucky team than I do, but as to why, maybe it was a matchup thing. Yeah, 100%. More, but I, it, it kind of, even though neither of them played, you know, incredible minutes, it just it, it kind of, the game is harder to, our offense is harder to move without a point guard. I think that was definitely more of a matchup thing on defense, which hurt us offensively, where Trey and KD are, I know KD height-wise not necessarily is that intimidating, but the physical aspect of KD to rough up the Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham to where Aiden brings you more, or should bring you more on the offensive end, is more of a slim guard. I guess the idea of let's send Trey, the high school DB, and KD, just the maniac out there to rough him up, I, I really... Trey didn't get hardly any minutes. I guess that was just a blur for me. But Aiden, I swear Aiden didn't even, he may have missed a few shots, but he was able to get to the rim a couple times, maybe get some confidence back. KD was, KD played almost, it feels like, the whole game on Saturday. I'm going to go back and look at the box score. Denver. um, He played 26 minutes. He was third, or he was fourth in minutes on the team. Um, third behind uh, Chad Baker Zora, Denver and Janai. So yeah, he was he was in the game a lot. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Aiden played 14 minutes, and Trey Donaldson, who started, only played 11. Interesting. I mean, if- so I mean, like I said, 25 only 25 minutes of gameplay. You know, we had a whole 15 minutes of the game where we just did not have a point guard, a true point guard in the game. And like I said, I mean, 59 at home, but the way we're playing with this team is just kind of embarrassing, and it's something we've got to get addressed. And it's kind of scary because like, we haven't really put up an offensive performance like that at home all season, so kind of weird to be, you know, One thing- showing up this late in the season, especially against the Kentucky team who's not really known to be stout defensively. No, not at all. I believe we're ranked 93rd in Ken Palm defensive. But there's also 
I guess there was a look in a lot of the things matchup-wise. Like you said, Chad played. I believe he was a tough matchup for us, but he was playing out of character. Those back-to-back behind-the-back passes, I was thinking, what in the world is he doing? That was another thing that bothered me. Um, I was fortunate to go to the game and got really good, uh, got a hookup for really good seats down actually on the floor level. Um, And I was watching one of those coming right at us on the basket, and he it was either he had a take or he had a bounce pass to Aiden for a take, and the the back to back the behind the back, and then doing it twice both times resulting in turnovers. It felt like because you because you could, like they both came off turnovers, so we were on fast breaks. So the crowd's obviously loud already from defense. They're getting even more loud. It felt like he was just trying to you know pander to the crowd rather than just go get points. Like, I feel like this team, they do definitely thrive off the, the jungle, but at the same time, like, you don't have to just put it, just scoring baskets will get will get the people excited, you know. We don't have to, every play doesn't have to be a highlight reel at Sports Center Top 10. So, yeah, that was kind of bothersome to me that the way he was, you know, some of the players were obviously maybe trying to lean into the crowd more than just, you know, Go get the lead. I mean, we were never in the position really to be doing the like crazy flashy plays. And so. oddly enough, people talk about experience, but in today's world, this, someone mentioned this before too. Oddly enough, these kids that are under the light of overtime elite and being McDonald's All Americans are in sort of like a pressure national TV environment. Auburn plays in, on national TV a lot, but you think about Cheney, who's playing D2, Denver, who's playing for FIU, who don't necessarily get the game day lights and stuff, maybe in an odd way that sort of benefited the freshmen who've been on the game day scene before at Arkansas. There's a lot of takeaway, but I guess one thing that we need to fix, silver lining, is guard play. And I'm looking now at Aiden Holloway's season box score. And with freshman guards, there's a lot of a mental side to it, right? You're playing a whole new sport. College basketball is a different sport from high school, whether it be physically, just mentally, obviously the X's and O's, and just every – you're playing grown men nowadays with people staying uh, years after COVID. And Aiden's scoring numbers when he was the starting guard, yes, it was against worse competition, but he was put – like he had 24 against Indiana, which was his season high – he had 15 against USC, and then now coming off the bench in a lesser role, he's gone 4-2-0-6-1-2. I think maybe offensively-wise, if this continues to be a struggle, only putting up, let's say, 59 to 70-ish points, when we were putting up 104 and these crazy numbers at the beginning of the year, 101 and maybe switch the lineup up a little bit, have Trey back then, and if he struggles, that's where you send in Trey and KD. What are your thoughts on that? No, I mean, I we got to figure out something. It's just, I mean, Trey was not much more. He was over three, zero assists. So that's the problem is that neither of them are on, and neither of them are playing for efficient. I think I want to see. One thing I remember about Trey. Yeah, they, I mean, but, uh, Trey had two turnovers over three, and he so he was really more of a liability than Aiden was. So. Yeah, like I said, like it, it, it's kind of with when you when you ha- when Bruce Pearl is your head coach, you kind of have to sit back as Auburn and kind of you know you got to let him you got to let him do his thing. You can't you can't take when the when you can't be happy when the good when things are going well and then you know hate his system when things are going bad. You gotta you know 
look at it on aggregate and appreciate it in in the long run. And part of that is the Bruce Pearl style basketball is getting these guys like Aiden and letting them giving giving putting the confidence in his players by letting them have green letting them have the green light, leaving confidence in his players by you know not calling panic timeouts. You know he refuses to call a panic timeout. He wants to let our guys you know figure it out on their own and naturally you know slow the momentum down. And then also, it's been his thing forever is the constant rotation, almost hockey. I've made this illusion before, but it's like a hockey rotation, you know, save legs because it's his big belief is that, you know, come tournament time, we're going to be the freshest legs in, in the country. And that's all well and good. But when, yeah, like I said, when neither of our guards are playing particularly well and they're continuing to be inefficient, it's just, it, it creates kind of a brutal brand of basketball to watch. Yeah, and one thing I remember about Trey from last March, he was playing his best ball towards the end of the year. He was playing fantastic against Iowa. I don't think he missed a shot against Houston. I went back and watched that game, and we were a Traymond Mark game of his life, which is still mind-blowing how bad this Arkansas team is. I mean, that guy was having a field day anywhere within the 15 to 10 feet range. He was getting a bucket, but... Yeah, I, it does help, but I, I I think this team needs to find, and I've been saying this since November, that go-get-you-a-bucket guy, which for times maybe on Saturday was Jay Will when we were looking for him. It was it, a little bit has been Janai. Who do, I, I can't even pinpoint a guy. Like Now that we're in February, who is, who is the guy? 30% from the field. I mean, I'm looking at the box score right now. Our most efficient shooter was Dylan Cardwell. Two for two. I mean, everybody else, like, Janai had himself a sneaky double-double, but, I mean, five for 13 from the field, 0 for three from three. Like, that's another thing. Janai, Janai Broom, obviously Wednesday went four for five from three, but, you know, if it's not on, there were just some four shots from him. One possession, it was just, he got the first pass and just immediately pulled. And I was like, I, mean, I believe we were down, like, only, like, not, like, eight or nine. I was like, what are we... We can't win basketball like that, you know, with our 25, 27, whatever percent shooter on the season, you know, taking it off the first look, you know, not even wide open either. It, you know, it's things like that. And it's not, like I said, it's not trying to panic because it's one game, one game in a whole college basketball year. And if you don't think Bruce Pearl is going to be on them about, you know, these mistakes, saying everything that we are, like you're wrong. So, yeah, it's just going to be. I'm excited and, you know, anticipating to see how we, you know, move from these and can maybe, you know, catch fire again at the right time. Kind of unlike we've been able to do for the last couple of years. You know, we haven't really been able to get hot right down the stretch. It's been, uh, we've gotten hot at some point during the season, cooled down, and then by March, it's like, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I don't have to remind the listeners how it's been the last couple of years. And we'll talk about that a little more and continue some other topics when we come back. But we're going to go ahead and take a short break. Don't go anywhere because we will be back shortly. And welcome back to Barners Before Bed here. Episode 38, Monday, February the 19th. Getting towards that time, Garber. We got about what? I know it's a leap year. I guess that's what? It's 10 more days until March. I know it goes to what? February 29th, 28th? On the leap year? Yeah, we got um, t- 
starting tomorrow, 10 more days in February, yeah. Yeah, and one thing I noticed this year was usually for Auburn students, the SEC tournament is at the end of our spring break, whereas this year it's pushed back a little, I'm pretty sure. It's middle of March, and the first round's there that the starts in the 20th of that month. So that's also I, I kind of enjoy that. Give me more ball, and it gives more time for the – football or post-football basketball fans, because I know there's a plethora out there that really lock into college hoops and especially the NBA after the Super Bowl, and now we're one Sunday down without football until August, and I believe we're getting a wave of these football fans back now getting ready to scout what their bracket's going to look like. And also, I think it's so funny how, I, I know you saw this, Ryan Russillo, pardon my take, they did a full-on NBA, quote, preview <laughs> After football was over, I thought that was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the biggest NBA guy at all. But I think if I were to really, like, looking back I, on when I used to watch the NBA more, it was, I mean, really starting around this time when it's like, this is where you tune in. Because I mean, they play 82, 82 games. Like, it's kind of hard to really be looked into, you know, yeah, the games, you know, games one through – yeah, one through thirty-five. While they're we're in the heat of football and college football and NFL, I mean, it's kind of hard to walk into that. Yeah, so. and I think I consider the NBA while football's on just one big preseason because first of all, the teams are going to be completely different after the trade deadline, and no one really knows what the teams are pre-trade deadline. And then now you go into the All-Star break, and no one has anyone to blame but the NBA. I watched it yesterday for like maybe three minutes. I was like, this is just a glorified, like, a, it, what's camp or uh, t- Tigers at Tumors or Midnight Madness for other teams, Big Blue Madness. That's what the All Star game feels like. And it's just unwatchable. And the whole weekend itself, I know for a fact you definitely didn't watch. I know I watched just because I guess all the Kentucky guys wanted to see him, but it, it was not even worth my time. Yeah, I, I didn't tune into a second of it. Um, I don't know. That, that, that stuff doesn't really bother me. Like, even the Pro Bowl ending doesn't really bother me. Like, these guys don't want to go get hurt. So, like, just play unconventional basketball. Like, that's fine. I'd like, that, it doesn't really bother me. But, but one I, tip of the cap I'll give is to the baseball folk, and maybe this is because it's the only thing in the world happening at that time is uh, the Midsummer Classic where I love the Home Run Derby and a baseball guy who was breaking it down to me said that it's impossible to not try hard in baseball. You can't fake not trying hard in baseball. It's impossible to play the sport without playing it hard. It, it, well, it kind of made sense to me. Yeah, baseball is by far away the best because it's least physical. It's not a contact sport. So, I mean, really – like there's not really there's I mean the risk of injury playing baseball is very low I feel like um, maybe pitchers arms maybe I I, I don't know I, I don't I'm not that big of a baseball guy to know like if their velocity goes down during the All Star game or not but yeah I mean you're batting I mean what are you gonna do not try and hit a home run not try and get a like you know not try and get on base like everyone's gonna try so and they also have an incentive too like what you said too it being in the middle of summer with quite literally nothing going on helps their case a lot. Yeah, for sure. But speaking of baseball, you got to go to the Auburn game. I just want to hear a quick little rundown, then we'll go back to hoops since we're in the heart of February, and now it's all eyes on hoops until April. What was your takeaway from the team and just the new atmosphere for all the students out there listening? 
Well, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say all eyes on basketball. On, on basketball, I, mean, I think we should get you know, it's opening day this weekend for Auburn baseball. Got a good squad. Um, yeah, I got to go to I got to go to the game Friday night, and it was really fun. Uh, I think it set a record for opening day attendance for Auburn baseball. So Auburn baseball is really, you know, kind of at the best it's been, you know, program wise, fan attendance, you know, team level. It's been in a long time. So it's really exciting. I suggest anyone to get out to Plainsman as much as possible. We get a game tomorrow against UAB. Um, but yeah, like I said, three and this weekend, Eastern Kentucky, you don't know much about them. Um, I'm not sure if they're like a projected tournament team at all or anything, but yeah, the first game pitching was a little bit shaky at first. Was Chase also was on the mound to start, um, but the bats were hot. I mean, we scored 13 runs, you know, ended up or 14 runs. Run ruled them before the game even ended. So in the seventh inning, so not really, not really much to complain about there. And then from then on, Gonzalez on Saturday and. Um, Carson Myers on Sunday both shoved. Neither neither allowed an earned run. Won nine to one on Sunday, and then I believe six to two on Saturday. So kind of won in a variety of different ways. Uh, closer one on Saturday, but really good defensive performance. Uh, we had a lot of new newcomers on the team to look for. I think Bruce, I think Butch is still definitely tinkering with lineups, pitching and um, batting order wise. Like I said, we've played we've played three straight, or we've only played three games in this college baseball season that's going to go hopefully into the summer if we make it to Omaha. So, got a long time to figure all these things out. But, yeah, um, Butch Thompson's been really preaching that a lot of our struggles last year, which included bullpen and um, maybe some bottom-of-the-lineup batting trouble, um, should be getting – should be – on paper fixed with the guys that we brought in from either the freshman class or the transfer portal. So it's exciting things going on in Plains. Get out to Plainsman Park. It's a great time. Like Trey mentioned, the outfield has changed. They built a new platform, um, two level platform out there. Definitely, incre- definitely improved the view. Um, I love the outfield last couple of years, but you know, watching through a chain link fence is kind of, Kind of definitely difficult to, you know, follow a baseball, especially if you're already in the outfield. But getting a raised up, you kind of being right over the field. I mean, you're right on the wall. There's nothing separating that wall and you. Um, kind of an interesting design. I'm curious to see if there's, like, going to be a home run or something, like a short home run out there that, you know, we might see a fan interference. I hope not. Little Steve Bartman. Keeps it, up, keeps it above board, but it's definitely exciting, you know. The showers after the after home runs has been fun. Um, yeah, I suggest that everybody get out there if they haven't yet. Yeah, and really a better way to spend a Friday night. I would even consider myself the biggest baseball fan. I never really grew up playing, but those days out there at Plainsman Park are so much fun. I don't know. We brought out the grill, brought out some coolers. It's big tailgate atmosphere in a time of the year that where you don't really get to tailgate with no football. And it's a lot of fun, so I would highly recommend all the students getting out there. That run in 2022 when we went to Omaha was just such a blast. I was, we were both in Auburn that summer. It was a great time to be on the planes. But let's revert back to hoops. One thing I wanted to ask you and maybe debate on, because I'm kind of torn between the two, 
I'm reading some of the quotes here from Bruce following the game, and I agree with everything he's saying. It's, this is not a demoralizing loss. This is Kentucky's one of those teams that you never know what you're going to get. It's the same thing with Arkansas the past few years when they've been really the freshman McDonald's All-American club in the SEC. Like with a, You never know. And they went on that run to the Sweet 16 last year. But it is not nowhere near demoralizing. I know it's just with all the hype and game day, it definitely hurts. Would have been a nice, especially with the home winning streak too. But he has been adamant about guard play success. And I want to know if there's one former Auburn player, it could be anyone, couldn't even be a guard. If you could add to this club right now, who would you pick? Yeah, I saw this hypothetical on Twitter. and They, they just used the uh, 2019 Final Four team um, as the parameters. But... I think I'll, I'm going to use those same parameters just to make it a little harder, you know, just narrow it down pretty small. I think it's it would be hard out of any year to not choose Chuma Kiki just because he was, you know, just by far away just the best player on that team. But I think this year what we need is a Jared Harper or Bryce Brown for two different reasons. Just a Jared Harper to – just ignite the offense, run the offense, um, you know, especially his level of play down the stretch of that season. Um, just facilitating the ball, you know, electrifying playmaker. And then he also still had the make the big shot presence. You know, we can turn, we could, we, we felt comfortable to turn to him to hit um, a shot when we needed the most. But going more with that, that's a case for having Bryce Brown, just, you know, an elite three-point shooter who also, you know, has the ability to get hot in the right moments and a guy you would definitely turn to for, all right, we need a three here. We're going to get it to him. We feel confident he's going to get it if he gets the look. Um, like you said this year, it's not that we don't – I don't have confidence in any of these players because all these players on our team can. It's just no one's solidified themselves yet like a like kind of Jabari Smith, which is an unfair – Expectation because is going to go down probably one of the one of the greatest, if not you know, possibly the best player we've ever had in this program. So, yeah, I think definitely having a facilitator and having a guy that can, you know, that theme of the last two years that a guy we can turn to when we needed the most and you know, hit the shot would be huge going down the stretch in March. Yeah, and one thing that. I've thought about, and I'd loved Jared Harper. Yes, that's why I'm leaning t- more towards him just to do with a big shot making. He was a guy who could score. I wouldn't Bryce Brown. I, I'm looking more for maybe a true one. And I got two takes. And I'm very curious to hear what yours is. I may even leave this as a little lead on for the next break to let our viewers even think about this one. Let it marinate. But. Sharif Cooper is going to be the most underappreciated Auburn player ever. Those little run during that COVID year obviously weren't ineligible for the tournament, but he was special. And if he would have came back another year and developed a jump shot, oh my goodness, that team could have won it all and lost three to two games. But I think him, and he just felt comfortable with him on the court. When he had the ball in his hands, you just feel comfortable. At times with Jared Harper, I didn't feel comfortable. So that's why I was torn. But Jared could make the shots. He, he was the epitome of a Bruce point guard, but this is the take, and we're going to go to break right after. Everyone buckle up if you're in a car. Ready for this one? Would this team be better if Wendell Green was on it and Aiden Holloway was not? And on that note, we'll be back shortly. 
And welcome back, episode 38 of Barners Before Bed. And if you're just tuning in with us, we left a little cliffhanger before we went to break. And it was something that actually was on my mind. And throughout the year, there's been two guys that are no longer with the team that this show and other Auburn people said, thank you for your time here, but maybe it was time to move on in referring to Wendell Green and Alan Flanagan. But now, after seeing what Aiden has brought and the lack of maybe a guard that can create, I know Katie can create it sometimes, it may be forced sometimes, can hurt the club, but I see Wynn as a senior guard, right? That's your third year under BP. He hopefully would have learned at this point the do's and don'ts of being a under six foot guard. Like there's been many great ones, like Frank Mason, when he was a senior won the national player of the year. There's something about Wendell and yes, is the defensive end, but Aiden really doesn't bring that on the defensive end either. He would find ways to score a lot. He would, he was fearless, man. He would shoot the ball. He would get into the paint, get fouled. Maybe the fearlessness kind of hurt him sometimes, but he would have, from my opinion, maybe have brought more than what Aiden is bringing us right now. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely, I definitely don't think Bruce Pearl, I think if you asked Bruce Pearl this, I don't think if you asked him, hey, would you, would you want Wendell back on this team? I think 100% he would say yes. So there's that. Um, yeah, just with the level of play right now from Aiden um, and kind of, you know, what we what was missing on Saturday was kind of a guy that can, you know, create offense, which Wendell could do in a spark. The issue is, though, he kind of just has the same – runs the same issues with any the rest of the guards on the team, whereas, um, you know, if they're not hot, he's going to, like, he, you know – he might try and just keep forcing it, you know, through it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you can get out, you can shoot your way out of a slump, but sometimes you can just shoot your way into being, that, being you know, bad shots can lead to a, you know, 10-point run against you, which can, can, can like, is the dagger, really. Uh, I think that's actually been, been a track stat. Um, you know, 10-0 runs in college, I think it's called the dagger stat. Um, seen some, some of that on Twitter. But... Yeah, I think yes. I think I think my answer right now would be tentatively yes. Um, like like you said, bringing if you yeah, it's Wendell as a senior, three years on the Bruce Pearl, three years on this team. You've kind of seen it with every player that stayed. They've just gotten better every year and kind of learned the role better every year. Um, and I think it'd be unfair to assume that Wendell would not do the same thing, even though he had he did definitely have some frustrating. There were some frustrating moments with him these last two years. I think people also forget how many electrifying moments there were with him. 100%. Uh, I mean, in that 2021 year, I mean, the guy had a strap some games. And, you know, that's a piece that we would love to have, you know, going into March. So He also think, was yeah, second think, team. Definitely, yes, I would rather – I would take a senior Wendell Green over a freshman Aiden Hallway. Now, where Aiden is in a couple of years, or even where he, if he develops, continues to develop this season by March, it's a different story. But as of right now, I think, yes, I'd take Wendell Green. He was a second-team All-SEC guy, if I'm not mistaken, and he averaged 13.7 points a game 
last year, but shot 36% from the field and 29 from three. That's better than Aiden's, what, 22% from three in conference play? I just feel like as a senior, maybe one more year, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but we've all heard the rumors on campus that maybe him and Flan weren't like the brightest spots in the locker room. Again, these are all speculations, but I feel like if the purely on the court from him learning how to play with these guys too, and like with Flan again, I don't think we would have gotten Chad Baker Mazzara. And with this club in particular, I would much rather have Chad. I love Chad. I, I think he yes. he is a guy that can he can I, is. Would you say he's our best shooter, spot up shooter? I think there's really not a maybe not even a debate. Maybe Denver. I'd say Denver probably, but. Um... Chad's definitely there as well. Um, I actually don't even—I don't know the stats on that, but yeah. But Wendell had a mid game that Aiden doesn't have, to where if his jumper is not falling, he can still go find that little floater, little pull up. I, I guess it—I I feel like a lot of it with Aiden Man is just mental because you saw him against the best freshman in McDonald's All American, excuse me, All American game, sort of shine, and if his club would have won, he would have won MVP. And then earlier on the year, he was our ace against Baylor. He and then the thing we were just talking about is he's just missing shots. Like he just looks like there's like an improvement. It's more fun, but that's just gone away. It's really been quite a disappointing downfall and sort of teetering towards Johan territory that we've been very reluctant to throw him in the category of. But then we we saw Johan play the other night on uh, Thursday. I guess that that's a little harsh to say Johan territory after seeing that. Yeah, I wouldn't go quite that far. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's, uh, it's Jalen Williams, our best shooter. Um, I, but not by much. Him and um, Chad both have about the same stats. Both shoot. Jalen shoots 41, and so does Chad. Both shooting 68 and 70 threes on the season. Um, and then following behind that, yes, Denver. And then, weirdly, uh, Trey Donaldson and then Jani Broom. Uh, Jani Broom is shooting better from three than Aiden Holloway, who is shot. Wow, I'm looking at this right now. He has shot 145 threes. And the next most shot on the team is Denver Jens at 87. Hmm. I feel like a lot of those had to be earlier in the year, too. I can't recall. I guess, yeah, because I, I, I was going to say, from recent memory, I think I think he's learned, but still, wow, that's quite sad. Yeah, um, man, oh man, and and also in years past with Bruce's teams, there's usually two to four guys crazy enough that can run the point position. We were supposed to have four in 2022, but Desi Sills was ineligible to come here last year. We had Trey Wendell and Zepp. What? Oh, would you even rather have like a Zepp than Trey? Or excuse me. Than an Aiden Hallway. I forgot about him as well. Zepp was really what what is Rothstein call him, like the honey badger? Locked down on defense, wouldn't really spark yeah, any offense. He's just him, solid. Uh, what, what did, I cannot, I can't, yeah, he did have a name for him. It, it was like a great Rothsteinism for sure. It was, it was a great Rothsteinism. All about consistency. Um Yeah, it's not gonna come to me. Um yeah, I think I I I think I would take Aiden Holloway just for you know where he's at, and you know what his ceiling is over a guy like Zeb Jasper. Even though Zeb Jasper, you know, defensively was a little bit tighter, um, 
yeah, he kind of fall off last year from his production and, you know, efficiency and defensive abilities that he did 2021 that he did in 2022. Yeah, and we're about to run out of time here, but let's just play a hypothetical, and I'm going to give you the remaining games. I'm going to give you a honest best-case scenario scenario at Georgia, at Tennessee, State at home, Missouri, and then Georgia at home. I'm going to I think with that schedule, I think worst-case scenario, and this is by far worst-case scenario, we go lose both the road games, slip a home game somehow some way, and that would only be Mississippi State. Because Missouri and Georgia at home should 100% be wins. And then best case, I, I think it will be very hard to win Knoxville, so I'll say 5-1. and one. Actually, I wouldn't even say worst case would be 3-2. and two. I would go – or excuse me, 2-3. and three. I would say it would be 3-2, and two, best case 5-1. and one. Does that even add up? No, it doesn't. It's only four, yeah, it's 4-1 and one to be. No, I'm, so even after this game um, and our struggles on the road, I definitely – I think it's more in the cards than people expect for a 5-0 and end of the season. But realistically, like you said, I think I think our worst could be 2-3, and three, but I really don't I, – I, I don't see us losing one of the last three games of the season. Um, Mississippi State, Georgia at home, and then at Missouri. Fortunately, one of our away games is Missouri, who's just been pretty atrocious this season. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be fun – stretch from at Georgia at Tennessee those are going to be two big challenges for different reasons but I don't know something about us playing on the road at Tennessee I think that crowd is you know it, the energy excitement in that arena is going to be going to be there so I think that's going to like I think our players have been able to you know show up with just the fact that there's excitement in the gym we talked about this last week yeah um, I think that benefits us more than maybe a quiet gym so I don't know. And Tennessee has shown they've had a couple chinks in their armor. So yeah, and uh, let's just yeah. I know we're about to finish up, but yeah, let's hope Congress can ride the ship from Saturday, flush it, forget it, learn from it, have five, have six days off to learn and prep for a tough chess at Georgia. Yeah, and Garber, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to shut you off there as the WW Eagle guys are about to come in here at nine to give you the. The, the WWE rundown, but nonetheless, we were a shot away as the number 25th team in the country, beating them when they were the number two team last year. So you never know, especially in the SEC. But we're running out of time here and got to wrap it up quickly. So thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next Monday for episode 39. Thank you guys, as always, for listening and War Eagle. Love you guys. Thank you all for listening from us here at Barners Before Bed. We hope you join us next Wednesday at 10 p.m. right here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Sleep tight, Tiger fans. And as always, War Eagle.